1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal.
0: There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's.
1: Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
2: Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be No Popcorn. Welcome to episode 34 of the No Popcorn Movies and Music Podcast. We're back to talk about High Fidelity, a quintessential music film that I gave 3 out of 5 to on Letterboxd. And Norma Howard thinks that means I don't like it and thus we shouldn't talk about it. Norma?
3: I... You suggested the film. I sure did. So I thought, my understanding was that you maybe had like an extremely for or extremely against opinion of it. A Three is a very middle of the road.
2: Yeah, That's I, 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 yeah, I take your point, but I think that there's a lot here to talk about. Do you agree, David Higgins?
4: There certainly is. Um, you, you know, you were mentioning before that this movie is certainly an important movie in the in the music music movie canon, and it's definitely one that w- we both would have seen when we were younger, young impressionable young lads. And um, it's probably been about ten years since I revisited it. So I think it's quite interesting to uh, to check in now that I think I am the age and you are the age that Rob Gordon actually is in this movie. Wow! And to compare how maybe I am Just now on. into his behavior, <laughs> and what we're what we're both like.
2: Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good thermometer. Perhaps it's been about twenty years since I watched it, so I was I was excited to go back to it. But we'll get there in a moment. We have to talk about the biggest movie event of the of the year, the biggest movie night of the year, though first. So uh, Higgs. Hit that jaunty, upbeat Oscar music, would you? That's, uh, that's We're Going to Chicago by Daniel Pemberton from the Trial of the Chicago 7 soundtrack. A track that Higgs was actually lamenting that we didn't play on the show before. Why?
4: Um, I just think that it's absolutely spectacular. I'm really annoyed that I didn't get it into our our end of year show because um, I know that we did like the best scores and uh, we did the best needle drops and then when I was doing the needle drop I had an example of what you shouldn't do um, w- when you're doing that. And yeah, um, no, no major offense to Daniel Pemberton, but like this absolutely ramshackle, <laughs> jaunty, uh, song is not really what I expected to open uh, a movie about you know institutional racism and you know a really a flashpoint in in American history. Um, as like you know, the the camera is just like whipping around and you're meeting everyone. Um. But yeah, I mean it's 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 perfect it's perfect fodder for a chat about movies itself, you know. Yeah and actually very, very well well titled for this show, going to Chicago. We'll be going to Chicago later for high fidelity of course but, but for
2: now we're going to <laughs> seamless maybe. we're going to we're going to union station in los angeles so steven Soderbergh directed 93rd i believe annual academy awards finally took place with actual human beings in there it looked like the golden globes did anybody actually watch it in full or just bits and pieces i mean what was your kind of take on it this year
3: i did not watch it in full where usually i actually i think i would i would like stay up and be listening to all of the acceptance speeches and everything that's going on. Yeah, I don't know what feels so kind of weirdly disconnected about it. Like I still really wanted to know who won, but I just wasn't that bothered (laughs) like like watching any of the videos. There's a couple of acceptance speeches that I watched because they were really nice or really beautiful or said certain things that were very charming or very relevant of the time. But um yeah, I kind of just flicked through the list of who won and was like, oh yeah, that seems that seems about right, I guess. Like and there was no um, major surprises I don't think for not, anyone.
2: yeah, not really. With that list though, days possibly a full week after it came out, it's Dave Higgins. Give us the big winners on the night.
4: Um so I guess uh, the big winner on the night uh, was Nomad Land. Uh kind of had the two big awards uh well th- three of the big five um were taken by that so Chloe Zhao wins for best director it wins best picture and Frances McDormand wins uh, best actress the one surprise of the night i suppose uh and what was kind of interesting is is that you know the traditionally the oscars ends on best picture and Steven Soderbergh, you know wants to do things differently um so he moved the acting categories to the end uh, with Best Actor coming last. And everyone kind of thought, well, you know, Chadwick Boseman uh, had been basically winning every award on the way uh, to the Oscars. And it was kind of like, oh, well, this would make sense. It could be a really nice moment. you get to celebrate him. And then Anthony Hopkins won and he wasn't there and he wasn't on Zoom. And there was just a picture of Anthony Hopkins and they were like, okay, that's it. That was the Oscars, good night. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a disaster. Um, other winners. It was kind of actually it was interesting. Um, you know, we we played a snippet there from the trial of the Chicago Seven. That was one of the uh movies up for best picture, and of all the best picture nominees, it was the only one not to win anything at all. Um, so the awards were pretty well spread out. Um, you had Yun Yoo Young winning best supporting actress in Minari. Um, you had. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who's absolutely incredible, and Judas and the Black Messiah winning, um, Emerald Fennel winning for Promising Young Woman. Uh, <laughs> Dave particularly happy about that one. Thumbs
2: down. That film sucks.
4: <laughs> and like even Mank. Mank got a cinematography. Looks very well. Uh, Trent Reznor like and Atticus Ross getting for thumbs up. Soul. It was soul. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was soul. Soul John, beating, John um, as well. cartoon saloons, Wolf Walkers as well. So yeah, kind of thumbs like, down. <laughs> yeah, like a big, a big celebration of basically everything nominated except for the Trial of the Chicago Seven, which I love.
2: Yeah, uh, which is yeah, you love that it didn't win. You don't love the film. I, I just in case, I, any, I love
4: that it got completely snubbed. Um, it's another year where you know. I guess since Netflix has entered the market, there's always been this kind of conversation. It's like, when will Netflix win Best Picture? It kind of seems inevitable. And like in a year where it seemed like it, it should have been so easy for them to win because they were the only people releasing movies. Like, you know, very few, um, maybe we'll kind of talk about this, very few of the movies um, that were up for Best Picture have certainly been released in Ireland. Like not even talking about, you, you would have got a chance to see them in the cinema, but like even streaming... Like, Nomadland is going to Disney+. Plus. It might be by the time this episode is out, but it's currently not. Um, You have something like Another Round isn't out till June. The Father isn't out till June. So, yeah, it's kind of funny that, like, Netflix... And they also paid an absurd amount of money for Charles Chicago 7. They paid about $60 million. They were like, this is it. You know, it was almost like a land grab, a Super League-esque, you know... You know, taking advantage of, uh, you know, the times that are where it's like, well, no studios are going to be able to release anything. So we'll just buy one of their kind of blue chips, try and release it, get an Oscar, and it doesn't get anything. So you love to see it, I guess.
2: I guess uh, we can tie in some of uh, what we've been watching here in some of the, you know, the, the Best Picture nominees or some stuff that was up. There may be some films that we may have seen in a manner that isn't, I don't know. Um... Uh, for example i'll go first uh, i saw another round i i was on, I, I wasn't willing to wait any longer what uh, <laughs> no right come and arrest me but like this is the tricky position you're in and no one's advocating for anything here i'm just saying that like in a normal time or even in a more organized time when it comes to you know providing people with films like you're in this weird cultural apex zone where some films have been out in other parts of the world for like over six months now there are, if you engage in places like Letterboxd or even like David Ehrlich's end of year YouTube highlight reel or any reviews or forums or Twitter even, the chances of you being spoiled on a film that becomes, you know, a cultural moment like A Promising Young Woman or A Nomadland or Minari or Another Round or Sound of Metal or whichever, very, very high. And if you're desperate to avoid spoilers and just see this film blind that you're excited about you're in a really fucking tough position. I mean, like, it was similar with Parasite. I mean, like, I saw Parasite ahead of ahead of time, so to speak, but, like, opening day in the cinema, I went to the lighthouse, I paid my money, went to see it again. It's an amazing film. I want to support these films. I want to pay the fucking cinema ticket fee, but in some cases you can't. And um, I just could no longer wait for another round. I was like, here's another Mads Mixon interview. I want to see this film, so I watched it. It's absolutely brilliant. I loved it. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a really, really... Beautiful film. I think it deals with very heavy subjects quite well. There is some kind of expected beats in terms of how it progresses as a story. But uh, for anyone doesn't know, it's about four teachers who are kind of hitting the you know forty or fifty mark in their lives, and they're not happy with where they're at. Um, they decide to do this experiment where they all uh, maintain a low level of constant intoxication and drink alcohol during the day while they're at work, and it kind of you know has both positive and negative effects in their lives. Um, Mads Mixon, who I'm a huge fan of, is outstanding in this film. It's a beautiful film. There's also some added real-life poignancy, which I think a lot of people are learning about in the wake of it winning Best Foreign Film at the Oscars, in that the director, Thomas Vinterberg, his daughter, who I believe was teenage age, passed away in a car crash beforehand. She was supposed to be in the movie. Uh, he was in a position where he was you know, on the verge of a complete breakdown, of course, and he decided to actually go through with making the film. The cast rallied around him, He obviously had extreme difficulties. It was being shot in her school. Like there was all kinds of. It was supposed to be for her. The film is dedicated to her. um So that's kind of hanging over it as well. But like it's a film that culminates in this incredible bravura sequence. Which if you've seen any of the marketing material, unfortunately, you'll have had that spoiled for you as I did. But I will say that like building up to it was incredible. It's 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 a really really good film. I think he's a great filmmaker. I was very happy to see it win. I think it probably should have been up for Best Picture in general. Uh, Higgs, what have you seen of the big ones?
4: Um, well, I suppose we'll go with the uh, the, the overall winner. Um, I watched *Nomadland*, um, and yeah, it, it's it's a good film. I kind of it kind of it's an ideal Best Picture winner this year because I I kind of I think I've seen everything outside of um, *The Father* and *Sound of Metal*. And apart from Trial, which I quite disliked, and I wasn't a huge fan of Promising a Woman, I thought, like, everything was good, but I found it, like, a very, very kind of uh, a weak enough year. Um, but of them, I would say Land was probably the best, even though there was lots that I loved about it. Um, it was the first time I've seen anything directed by Chloe Zhao, and she has a very assured style um it's a very very beautiful looking film. Um, it's kind of seems to be one of those movies that's kind of set at like perma dusk magic hour, and when you kind of go with the kind of landscapes that she's shooting in in like South Dakota, um, they're really 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 striking. Um, she's in like Badlands National Park as well. Just a very very gorgeous movie to look at. Um, kind of goes without saying that Francis McDormand's amazing. Uh, the thing I was kind of really taken by, and I. Again like didn't go in knowing a huge amount about it um was the fact that like most of the cast are not actors and they're actual nomads and they were all kind of a revelation uh particularly there's one character um swanky who I was just like this person is so interesting, so captivating. I was like, they can't be an actor, and if it, if it was an actor it's like it's some of the best um casting director work I've ever seen but yeah it it is a very very impressive film it just kind of left me feeling a little bit empty I didn't really connect with anything in it Um, I don't really know if it was saying a huge amount even though I did like how uh, human it was and there was a real decency streak to it but it kind of it struck me like I was watching a really or like I was looking at a very nice New York Times like photo essay of all these people um, and wasn't really getting like the full context of it.
3: Oh, bit harsh, no? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. Chloe jo- Joao, I really hope- Joao. Um She has a, another film called The Rider which again is kind of like street casted. I say street casting, but like there's a little bit more research gone into it than that because typically the subjects and like the people who are playing those characters in the films have lived that particular type of life and you're dead right, it's like that character Swagki had been destroyed. Like it was just really beautiful. Um, She has a monologue moment in it where she's just talking about her life and traveling around and her choice to live as a nomad. And it's like even though the film is very specifically scripted it still sounds so real and just so interesting and so fascinating um and yeah I just I really liked learning about that lifestyle and I guess I do understand what you mean about like it's maybe not saying a huge amount, but it's more just kind of opening a door to like, here's a part of America that exists. This is a lifestyle that people have. This is a year, this woman's life of a choice she makes. Frances McDormand is amazing. She's just really disarming throughout the entire film. Um, and is just really playful. It, um, And I think one of the things that I, I found difficult about Minari was that like, I did like it, like it had great performances and it looked gorgeous as well, but it was just, it was quite slow moving and I felt like I was constantly filled with this sense of dread that like something really bad was going to happen. And the difference with Nomadland is, I think think it's in the editing. It's just like, she knows how to pace the film so well, when to like, a lot of it is like, quite short scenes and then she'll just have these moments where it's a really long sort of like tracking shot or just like the cameras following Frances McDormand across the screen for ages and those moments just pace it so well that I never I didn't lose interest um I yeah I just found it kind of like those moments were really intoxicating because I was used to the kind of the shorter cuts. so I thought her nomination for best editing was like really well deserved if not I maybe she should have won.
4: Yeah, uh, it's interesting you, you mentioned Minari because I've I've watched Minari as well. I watched it the night before. And yeah, I also it's a, it's a movie I like really really admire, but again, I just didn't find myself like connecting to it, but I do I do think that what you say about the the pacing and the editing of Nomadland, it is really good. And I guess it also in a way Minari is very much just set in for the most part one location on the kind of farm in the trailer that they're living in, um, while in Nomadland, you know, she's living in the van, but the van can go anywhere. And, you know, I was mentioning like South Dakota, but like, there's some like, just like great parts of America, I guess that you don't see, like there's, that there's one stage where she, she kind of is just like working in different odd jobs as, as she goes along and, um when she's like working in the it's called like wall drug which is the place with all the it's kind of just like again like kind of side of the highway has a gigantic diplodocus outside it. it's just like it's a very striking visually it's a very interesting thing to look at um but yeah i guess and and this is probably maybe why i necessarily didn't feel it had a lot to say and this is probably on me for maybe having a bit of a perception of what it was going to be before I went into it. But it kind of, it opens where she's working for Amazon and, you know, she's working packing for an Amazon plant. And I kind of got the impression that the movie was um, a lot to do with just like people who are working in very precarious jobs, seasonal work, and that they're essentially like having to travel around to... um find work and like basically going where the work is and kind of some, you know, borderline like, you know, 20s depression, Dust Bowl era kind of thing. But it's actually a choice that the people have made and that's wonderful and um, they do show that side of it. So I guess I was just kind of wrestling with it. I was like, oh, this is kind of going to be maybe a bit of a damning indictment of um, how people, particularly most of the people in it are older, have kind of been left behind. um the safety net of social security for them doesn't seem to exist. And like, it's a pretty um, damning thing to say about a country, but it doesn't really go there. And I guess that's fair because again, um, that's not what it's about. It's actually about the people who have decided that this is a life they want to live. And there's, a, is a, there's one guy, Bob, who's kind of like the, the doyen of all this. And he's like, <laughs> he has this uh, camp in Arizona I actually went on to his real? website. Yeah, yeah I he's think he's real, real isn't he? he? His like whole a, ethos
3: he, and his teachings yeah. are like.
4: He has like a YouTube channel and in his own website, like kind of explains how to live the, the, the nomadic life. And like, here's how you live for like five hundred dollars a month. And like, I was like, oh, this is quite fascinating. And even he has like an incredible moment where like this really touching, uh, affecting moment where he's he's talking about like. Um, you know, his relationship with his son and it's just, yeah, it is very, very strong. Um, but yeah, overall, I just like, there wasn't like the, the connection maybe on, on a rewatch. It is something I think I'd revisit that, uh, I would, I would find more in and um, just briefly on Minari. Um, yeah, like again, it's a very beautiful film, um, incredible performances. You know, I think we're all in the Stephen Young fan club here. He's really good in this. um, the the whole family is really good. I'm just getting the little kid, Alan Kim, is getting a lot of props. He's an absolute charmer. Um I love the score of it and yeah, it just kind of yeah, didn't 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 hit me in the feels, I guess. And for a movie that's kind of like very much about agrarian life I I found its third act was very unorganic and like really just kind of like oh god, we need to maybe put a bit of you know, pressure onto this. Um, I also found Will Patton's character a bit much.
3: Is he the the other farmer, the guy who yeah, loves him kind of farming? The yeah, yeah, it was like, I just feel like there there were so many themes and there were so many, there's almost too many weird little conflicts that I was like this, uh, like, I don't know. I Yeah, I didn't know what it was kind of saying. I think David Tapley also said this on the last pod as well that like it didn't ultimately really know the point it was trying to make by the end of it but it was certainly very epic in its telling of its non point <laughs> uh
2: before we move off oscar talk uh, i guess because we will be doing a few trips on Unsound of metal um norma you've seen ma rainey's black bottom can i ask you I have, if indeed. can i ask you if um did you expect chadwick boseman to win do you think he should have won i mean it, it, is the story so big like that the performance has been you know, kind of dwarfed by comparison. You know, I think yeah. everyone expected it to be a Heath Ledger moment for him and it wasn't, which was kind of shocking.
3: Yeah, it's strange because I, I feel like other people were shocked. I wasn't as shocked only because um, the film did disappoint me a little bit. It, there's a really tricky thing where it was actually, it's produced by... Um, Denzel Washington and it was originally sort of developed in conjunction with a film called Fences that he was in. Both of them I think are based on August Wilson plays and I just felt like the film very much feels like a play. Like it's got those big monologue moments, it's got the drama, it's got the like... uh, the slightly more that the, the like there are just like theatrical moments to it where I felt like if I was watching this on stage with these actors I might be getting more from it but when you have to shrink the concept of the play to fit a film screen but the performances and the characters are still huge it there's something jarring about it. Um, Viola Davis is incredible in it is great and I I did really really like Chadwick Boseman's performance and like he's brilliant and they are definitely the two best things about the film I just think the film maybe lets him down a little bit the character is very um it's very heightened a lot of the time which again like I said it's just it's tricky in film to get more nuance out of that I guess. And like the direction definitely takes it to a theatrical level. Um so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's like an upset for people that he didn't win Best Actor. I haven't seen the father, um, so I don't know about Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins, yeah. Um so I don't know it by by comparison. Um, but it's certainly a very strong performance. Um, I just didn't like the film so I didn't even like not like the film I just felt like if I was watching it on stage I would like it a lot more it just um, yeah sometimes I think the translation of stage to film doesn't work that well even though all the elements and all the parts are there and in place
4: it's really hard to do without making it you know Kind of super flat. I thought one night in Miami. Uh, I don't think it got, it got nominated, but it was very telling that apart from like yeah, a couple of a scenes play. that were added <laughs> in, that it was like, okay, we're in one room and like
3: everyone. You want to be a really, really
4: good director to be able to constantly make a room look interesting. You know,
3: mm. there's one, there's one particular big, big monologue that Chadwick Boseman's character has, and again, it was just it felt so theatrical and not through any fault of his or anyone else's it's just it's it's built for stage it's like you're you're
2: playing to the gallery type thing isn't
3: it yeah it's like it's uh, extremely heightened drama and the delivery of it like it is it's just not it's not natural on film to have someone talk for such a length of time in a room full of four or five people and have no one interrupt them or no one like say anything else. It's just there's something inherently theatrical about sitting four of the men in a room sitting around watching one man speak for five minutes when they're when they were just having a regular sort of conversation. Or not a regular conversation, but something a bit more um intimate. It's like it, it is a strange sort of setup.
2: I think we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep our, what we've been watching, Oscar theme for the most part. I'll probably just breeze past it now into high fidelity in a second. But before I do, a shout out for one film that will not be winning an Oscar next year. Mortal Kombat 2021 <laughs> has emerged and it is dreadful. I was very, very upset by this, of course, you know, big Mortal Kombat head in my youth wasn't anticipating Citizen Kane here or anything but uh, or Mank I don't know if Mank takes the uh, now that it's won two Oscars to Citizen Kane's one um, Mortal Kombat 2021 yeah it's um it looked like they were doing the right thing you know they were like casting actors like Joe Taslim of The Raid and The Night Comes For Us an incredible martial artist and you know someone who has good screen presence you know you got Hiroyuki Sanada as Scorpion you know it's like a really respected Asian actor they cast Asian actors like they were trying to like make it authentic yada yada in this really silly dumb universe um but no outside of an okay opening sequence uh, it's absolutely dreadful it's incredibly cheap looking it's just you know gory for the sake of it the story is ridiculous this is a film about, about a tournament that doesn't have a tournament. <laughs> like, I don't know how you do it that. It doesn't like, have the tournament? No, it doesn't have the fucking tournament. I don't know how you don't do that.
4: That's, that's like when I I paid good money to see Geostorm and there's no fucking Geostorm. <laughs> no, but there is... Sorry, uh, spoilers for Geostorm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but there is, in that film though, there is uh, several moments where Jared Butler and others open up a laptop and it says, countdown to Geostorm, which just... Oh rubs, yeah, they tease you. Salt they into tease the you wound.
4: with the Geostorm.
2: Yeah, Mortal Kombat 2021 is no good. Uh, it became apparent pretty quickly that it was just not very well put together. And it's funny because, like, uh, the the Scorpion character, when he eventually reemerges at the end of the film, the fight you've seen in the trailers is the end of the film. It's like, what the fuck is this? Uh, like, there's, like, dialogue on screen because they subtitle it, of course. And it's, like, meant to be, like, really, like, I guess, regal and, you know, dramatic and impactful. And he literally says, like, I have risen from hell to kill you. And it's like, okay. And then he's got a line where he goes, I am Scorpion now. And I'm just like, okay, right, fuck off, movie. Yeah, it's a it's a two-hour trailer for the next film. So, no, not good. Did not enjoy it. Um, anything before we get into High Fidelity? Is there, there anything you, and, and, you, you, and you mentioned desperate the movie mention?
4: You mentioned a movie that's a two-hour trailer for the next film. I watched another movie that was just released this year, and um, that is very much in that in that mold. I watched Nobody. The uh, you know Bob Odenkirk gets to make a Taken movie that's uh, out at the moment, and kind of caught me by surprise because if you look at the poster and you know if you know Bob Odenkirk and you you're kind of just being like oh it's Saul Goodman goes postal. I was kind of expecting some sort of. Um, Hyper violent, um, attempted to be funny but not funny. Being like, oh, this guy is you know like a, a real beta male and a kind of a, a kind of a modern day falling down. Um, but it's in fact it's very much just like no, no, he's he's John Wick. Uh, Bob Odenkirk is John Wick. So it's written by Derek Culstad, who did the John Wick movies, and it very much tries to like build a world, um, around it. But, yeah, this thing just, like, basically just sets up um, a, a future nobody that uh, hopefully will, will knock him around. Really weird cast. It's like, you know, the movie kind of comes to its big crescendo with, like, Bob Odenkirk, uh, the RZA, and Christopher Lloyd laying waste to people in a warehouse. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and some absolutely jaw-dropping needle, needle drops, like... Mm.
2: Do you want to spoil? Because I'm not going to watch this. So
4: <laughs> you know, he he's kind of he's kind of up against it, and you know the the Russian the Russian mafia led by I can't think of I think it's Alexei Serebyakov. He was in like a Leviathan, this is an incredible Russian movie that came out four or five years ago. Anyway, he's slumming in this thing. Um, his whole ga- his whole gang are at this warehouse. They're getting ready to you know take out Hutch Mansell, who is um, Odenkirk's character and you know his his backup of RZA and Christopher Lloyd come in as the beautiful strains of Jerry and the Pacemakers. you'll never walk alone <laughs> come on <laughs> oh, I no. mean that's that's you definitely out of a Liverpool song not for David
0: Handwriting. Yeah, if, if I wasn't before
2: but let's talk about different songs let's talk about the songs that take place in the film High Fidelity here's the trailer <laughs>
0: can't fire them. I hired these guys for three days a week and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. Rob Gordon has a successful business and a dedicated following.
1: I used to go to the double door to hear you spin. You were unbelievable.
0: But when it comes to dating. Hi. Hi. Is this Penny Hardwood? Hi, Caroline. He's still searching.
1: Are you in a rat, Rob?
0: I'm sorry?
3: Are you in a rat, Rob?
0: I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. For the right woman. What's your name? Lord! Now his search may have ended, but his problems just
2: started. That's High Fidelity from 2000, I believe, directed by Stephen Frears and starring John Cusack, based on a novel by Nick Hornby. David Higgins, what's the story?
4: Uh, The story is about Rob Gordon, who is a guy in his mid-30s in Chicago. He runs a record store championship final, um, works alongside his two um, co-workers, barry and dick he opens the movie in a kind of fourth wall breaking piece to camera talking about um what came first was it you know misery or pop music he's just breaking up with his current girlfriend laura and he uses this breakup and both his love of music and his love of list making to uh get his top five all-time uh you know heartbreaks um And kind of uses that as a jump off to like reassess his life, reassess his love life. Um, So lots of introspection from him and lots of, lots of hijinks in the record store along the way.
2: That's uh, beautifully done. Let's take, and of course I'm a top five man myself, so naturally I gravitate towards this subject matter. Let's take a listen to that fourth wall break, which introduces us to John Cusack's Rob Gordon.
0: What came first? The music or the misery. People worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos. Some sort of culture of violence will take them over. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? My desert island, all time top five most memorable breakups in chronological order are as follows. Allison Ashmore, Penny Hardwick, Jackie Alden, Charlie Nicholson and Sarah Kendrew. Those were the ones that really hurt. Can you see your name on that list, Laura? Maybe you'd sneak into the top ten, but there's just no room for you in the top five. Sorry! Those places are reserved for the kind of humiliation and heartbreak you're just not capable of delivering.
2: So that's our hero, Norma Howard, on a scale of one to ten, just how toxic is Rob Gordon?
3: Um oh god, he's probably he's probably about a nine. Oof.
2: He's not great, is he?
3: Like, he, he's a very, almost, like, very subtle form of toxic. And then as the film goes on, you're like, oh, God, no, he's bad. And then you're like, oh, no, he's he's very, very bad. And then even at the end, still bad. Still pretty bad.
2: Yeah, see, I'm not going to, like, sit here and pretend I'm some kind of incredible, woke, progressive, enlightened human being and an amazing example of a now-in-his-mid-30s white man. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say I am. Uh, but I will say... That when I watched this film in 2000, I was very excited to see it. I just remember coming away from it feeling very uncharmed and I just didn't dig Rob. I thought I would. I should. At least, you know, quote unquote, should. But I just think he's a bit of a dick. Higgs. So
3: what is it? Do, do we have uh, like an example scale? Like, who do we think is a 10?
2: uh conor mcgregor i mean like like, <laughs> like that, that's pretty bad right so like that's kind of like you know nine okay, might maybe be nine bitch.
3: was rough then actually i'll scale that back i was going more for like the soft boy
2: sure level
3: of toxicity he, yeah um,
2: i guess i mean i don't have a he still
3: makes women mixtapes so i
2: I mean, you know, who among Top us, drivers. you know, uh, but, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just didn't find him to be, I, I just didn't find there the to be enough charm to it. I can understand if like, you know, he's incredibly charismatic and sexy and blah, blah, blah. I think even also John Cusack has a terrible haircut in this film, which just doesn't work for him either. Higgs, what do you think? Imagine you're like, I think he's amazing. <laughs>
4: like, I mean, he's my man. Well, when I first would have seen it, I was probably, I think I saw it in the cinema when I came out. So I was 15, very impressionable. And I was like, you know, probably not missing all the ugliness of his character and just being like, oh, this guy, like, you know, he likes records and, you know, he has a cool record store and um, all these women seem to want to be with him. This guy is great. And then, uh, again, that's why I was kind of like, oh, this is; will be an interesting one to kind of watch as you you get older. Um, And, yeah, now I'm like, yeah, he's he's pretty terrible. Uh, There's an argument that he should be in prison um (laughs) you know i don't and and and, you know i think not to completely jump to the end you know where it's kind of like oh he he figures things out a little bit but you know there's a little bit of the alex at the end of clock of where he's like oh i was cured all right (laughs) and it's i don't know if he's really learned anything in this movie you know by the the time we get to the end of it um yeah just just a really really bad person he'd like this I I'm I'm struggling to think of like moments where, I'm like oh that you know, he he's done something nice for someone there you know the his his grandest statement of him moving on is you know, he makes mixtapes for people and he's like oh I'll make a mixtape for you Laura of songs that you like but they're still songs that he thinks that she likes and that he has kind of co-signed on um, yeah he's a he's not a great person. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I should say I'm not here to trash this film. I do. I think it's good. I gave it three out of five. You know, we can debate the merits of the three, the gentleman's three all day long. That's okay. But some people absolutely love this film. They find it very charming. They think it makes very good and very valid and very realistic reflections on relationships. And they kind of think that it it, it, is, an, it is in and of itself a realistic film. Norma's hand is up straight away. I love it. I would
3: say that um, for a lot of people who really, really love this film, it's not so much... Rob Gordon—that that is the charm of it. I guess it's sort of more the, not even the story that's being told. I think it's the framework within the story that's being told. And it's more that there's like, there's certain lines or certain moments or certain all like uh, conversations that are had that people are like, oh, I've felt that way or I've had someone say that to me or I've done that thing. Um, so I, d- I don't particularly find any character in it charming.
2: Not even Jack Black, who everyone loves I for some reason,
3: hate Jack Black in this film. <laughs> I, like, and it's so weird because he's meant to be the like, like the fun element of it, and I know everyone thinks because I think it's like. He wasn't very well known when it came out. And it's like, it's a really big defining thing for Jack Black. And I really like Jack Black in in general. But I just, it's so much that I was like, I can't. I just can't listen
2: to it. So Jack Black's character Barry works in the record store with with Rob and another member of staff played by Todd Luiso, who is a guy who pops up in like... <gasps>
3: Actually, sorry, Dick is charming. Yeah, I take it back. He's because the MVP Dick of the film to me, I yeah. think.
2: He pops up in films with Jerry Maguire. He's the uh, the nanny who's like trying to, you know, get Tom Cruise into jazz and pops up here and there. He's kind of got odd energy, which kind of works in this movie. But we'll, we'll take a listen to, I guess, Jack Black's entrance into this film and entrance into the store where he's late for work. Hit that music, Higgs.
4: What the fuck is that? It's the New Balance Sebastian. But it's the record we've been listening
0: to and enjoying, Barry. Well, that's unfortunate because it sucks ass. Yours, I assume? Hey, buddy, uh, I was just trying to cheer us up, so go ahead. Put on some old sad bastard music, see if I care. I don't want to hear old sad bastard music, Barry. I just want something I can ignore. Here's the thing. I made that tape special for today. My special Monday morning tape for you! Special! It's fucking Monday afternoon? You should get out of bed earlier! Come on, dude
2: so um i think that one of the problems with the jack black character is like obviously yeah it's as norma kind of points out it's too edgy for you and it's like it's a lot he is the comic relief quote-unquote and he's very loud and he's very dominant i think he rattles off like you know he's just spray gunning like with caustic energy and like kind of one-liners and sarcasm and i think some of it does work i think i think he 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 will get a funny joke and a nice moment into the same sentence where he gets a really shit juvenile one and i'm like ah it's halfway here it's halfway there and you know, I worked in extravision for a while, and I definitely had a touch of the you know Randall from Clerks about me. You know, I'd like to think that I didn't go full Barry from Championship Vinyl because I don't quite like him. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, like his energy is—I guess it's a necessary contrast to John Cusack kind of moping around the place. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a Jack Black guy. Is this kind? He of- also
3: bullies Dick for getting a date. Is it like he doesn't think the date is real? I was like, stop being mean to Dick
2: yeah and of course he's the one who ends the movie with like his hidden talent where it turns out he's an amazing singer i don't quite know what the i don't quite know what his arc is but we'll stick on john cusack's arc for a second so like i mean you know with this movie it is very much a a case of you know cusack goes back and confronts his past reconnects with most of his old girlfriends and tries to find out what went wrong will he learn lessons as higgs kind of points out not necessarily and higgs is currently shaking his head um it's a strange kind of arc to hang a film on because you need your standard I'm so kind of sorry. Conflict. I'm
3: just going to interrupt for one second. Is it like he goes back to talk to them to find out not necessarily what went wrong, but if it's his fault.
2: Why he was dumped. Yeah, or That like, it
3: went wrong. Yeah, sorry. I was just because upon rewatching it, I was like, wow, that's an extra layer of. Awful. <laughs>
2: yeah, and there's one in particular where, like, there was a, there was a, his teenager, his early college girlfriend, where, like, she didn't sleep with him and then she says this to him that she wanted to, but he, she felt pressured into going off with some other guy. And it, it gets very dark very quickly. And then when she kind of storms off in, you know, tears, he's like, grand. And you're like, that's a gag. And it's like, I don't know if the film can, can make that balance work. It's just kind of very of its time kind of humor. It's neither. It's neither offensive nor, like, really sticks the landing. And I just don't know if that actually works. Um, It's also, like, an opportunity to be, like, you know, like, the the love interest, the kind of the old flames are played by actors of varying different kind of levels of notoriety. Lily Taylor is in there. Catherine Zeta-Jones is in there as a very specific type of girlfriend. She's, like, this physical perfection that he was infatuated with. And when he reconnects with her later in life, he realizes, or at least his version of it, is that he thinks she's a horrible snob. It's hard to know, like, who's... Good and who's bad? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like the Catherine Zeta-Jones in particular, I kind of feel like is an intriguing casting choice because this is around two thousand when she's about to be one of the biggest movie stars out there. I think this is one of her better roles. Am I? Am I wrong on this one, or is she? Is she is she perfectly cast? I don't Sorry,
3: know. Higgs had his hand up there, so I'll let him. I'll oh no, him you, go. you 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 go ahead. Um, <laughs> like she fulfills the spec of of the role exceptionally well and she does a she does do a really really good job um yeah it is interesting trying to work out whether her character is actually that bad because all the characters that you're seeing that you're meeting at this point in Rob's life that he had been with before everything is through his lens it's not like it was like oh the past is through his lens but you're seeing it for what it really is right now it's still actually through his point of view and his perspective. And you're not getting a full view of their lives or what it is they actually do. Um, I thought, yeah, I think it is. It's a it's a more fleshed out role than the other ex-girlfriends. For, yeah, for whatever reason, Um, and it is a little bit more interesting. And she does an excellent job in it as well.
4: Yeah, I think she's great as well. Um, Perfectly, perfectly cast. it, both in, you know, not to say John Kusek isn't a handsome dude, but like she does fit the like. Oh, this person is way out of uh, way out of his league. Like even when he goes and he meets her later on, like just like the way he's dressed, he he's he's trying because for the most of the movie, he's essentially just wearing like you know a Dickies t shirt or with like a a bad shirt thrown over it. But like he's like, oh, I am going to like a uh, you know. A dinner party i better like dress up and he's just like not fit for it completely out of place and she's totally at home in it. and maybe that's where like part of his like oh she only talks shit resentment comes from but yeah she's really really good in it um i think most of them are all cast quite well i'm surprised dave that you didn't mention that uh you know you, you mentioned that scene in the restaurant where he's talking to his second girlfriend college girlfriend uh, penny hardwick it's played by Joelle Carter, none other than uh, Justified's Ava Crowder.
2: That's who that was. Oh, my God. I, I, did, I knew I recognized her, right? And I couldn't place her. And I looked her up and I saw the name and I still didn't put it together. That's fucking bizarre. Wow, that's amazing. Um, that is genuinely shocking to me. Uh, let's take a listen, though, to that dinner party that Rob goes to with Catherine Zeta-Jones. This is a bit of a long clip, but I wanted to establish the kind of whole situation. So he's kind of like, you know, on his quest to go back through everybody. He thinks Charlie might be the one. He's obsessed with wondering why she dumped him. And he goes to this kind of hoity-toity dinner party, which he is not at. And I do think, I think as, as this clip goes on... And the shoe drops. I think Carlton Zia jones gives one of her best performances I've ever seen her give. So
0: let's take a listen. I can see now that I'm doomed to die a long, slow, suffocating death. And I try to figure out why. Of course there's envy. Why isn't my life like this? And sure, I want their money and clothes and jobs and opinions. And I'd like to have advice on jet lag, but that's not it. I mean, they're not bad people, and I'm not a class warrior. It's something else. I
1: never did. I never did. And I was very supportive. And then
0: it dawns on me.
1: It came down to me to tell the truth.
0: Charlie's awful. the truth. She doesn't listen to anyone. She says terrible, stupid things. And she apparently has no sense of humor at all. And talks shit all night long. Maybe she's been like this all along.
1: Call me tomorrow, okay? Call
3: me. Promise to call me. Bye.
0: (sighs) How did I manage to edit all this out? How had I made this girl the answer to all the world's problems? Hey, Charlie. Hey, Rob. (sighs) So, Charlie, why'd you dump me for Marco?
1: I knew it! Fuck, fuck,
0: fuck!
3: What?
1: You are. You are going through one of those what-does-it-all-mean
3: things. I can't believe you, Rob.
0: Yes, I am. Very much indeed so. Oh, God. Come on, answer the question. (sighs) Oh, come on, Charlie. Don't hold back. You can say whatever you like. Why'd you dump me for Marco? Marco just
1: seemed to be a bit more... Glamorous, you know, more sure of himself, less hard work, a little sunnier, sparkier.
2: That is quite the takedown. I think you can agree. Um, what do we think about the structure? The fourth wall breaking, the kind of as Norma says, only seeing it through his lens. Because, like, even in that sequence, like, I feel like we're meant to be on his side, but like, I'm kind of on hers. She is fickle and superficial but like she's not wrong so you know it's kind of tricky i guess but the kind of the the narration the fourth wall breaks all that kind of stuff it's cool you know it's cool movie making but does it work
4: um yeah just just on, on on what he's kind of saying about charlie i feel like he could very much apply to himself um yeah in terms of the style so the the book itself is very much first person um you're very much in in rob fleming's head it's changed um and yeah it's kind of trying to just do like traditional voiceover I don't know if it would have worked um so considering like the whole movie itself is like about commenting on uh art basically through the through the whole through the whole movie making lists and kind of taking like a postmodern slant on it um yeah like the fourth wall breaking makes sense to me um that said I kind of don't really like it (laughs) that said you know outside of like a couple of incidents like i think the opening works really really well um but yeah it's it's not something i i like in a movie um
2: when you say that he should be in prison i'm wondering if you're alluding to his like outright stalking of his ex-girlfriend which i'm presuming that's what you're meaning
4: yeah he like aggressively hanging outside her house making phone calls um you know Prison-worthy behaviour.
2: So this character,
4: Laura... (laughs) Definitely,
3: okay, restraining order behaviour?
4: Yeah. Look, we're going to court. That's all I'm (laughs) saying.
2: (laughs) This character, Laura, is played by, I believe, a Norwegian actress called Ibn Helge, who I've not seen in anything else. Uh, I feel like she's not up to it, really, but she's fine. Like, you know, it's grand, but like, you know, it's... She's kind of like a little bit adrift with some of these big stars, maybe, because I don't... She doesn't have much of a profile that I really would know of. Um he's spending the whole film like trying to get her back essentially um he eventually does do you think she's making a huge mistake norma like like where where where, where do you sound her as a character like like
3: is she it's hard because i feel like uh, as like for a lot of the film what it's trying to get across is the idea of falling initially you're meant to not like laura And kind of like Rob and then over the course of the film you fall out of love with him and fall in love with her and you begin to understand all the things that he sees in her and how she makes him a better person type thing. But yeah I think you're right I think her character falls a little flat sometimes I don't know if that's a performance thing. Or whether she's just such a mechanism or like a a vehicle for a means to an end that there isn't much for her to grab onto. Like the ex-girlfriends do have a bit more of the interesting backstory and they've got more to say and a bit more bite to them. Whereas there's times with Laura where I'm just like, don't get back together with him what you were you you both seem miserable he cheated awful things happened you were scarred emotionally and like there are times where I'm like I don't see why he wants her back so much and even he has a moment where he makes a top five list of the best things about her which is a very sweet list it's very nice and it might be very endearing if it was coming from any other man than him (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah there's a point where I just like I I kind of the thing I find tricky about the film because whilst it is really enjoyable I feel like I'm saying a lot of negative things about it it is really enjoyable and it's a lot of fun to watch and there's definitely things in it that people relate to and are like oh that's what I was like at that age that being said Rob is like 34 in it ish no? Thirty, mid thirties, yeah. About, no, think,
4: yeah.
2: 30? Old, yeah. So, um, is he thirty? Um, Come on, I'm not buying hmm? it. He's not thirty. Like he's definitely like, You're, surely wrong side thereof. No,
3: I, 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 actually don't know because they don't really state, and I'm always like trying to guess what age I think, like he should be. I think one of the the difficult things about their relationship is that it like does it seem worth it to get back together? Maybe you should just. I don't know, dating other people. Cut your
2: losses. Because even when she does like <laughs> I, take him back, like he starts openly like flirting with just, slash. yeah, with to make,
3: whatever hot young thing comes along. Natasha <laughs> Gregson
2: Wagner playing a music journalist for Making a cool magazine. Tape.
3: I was like, ugh.
2: Who apparently hasn't heard of Lab by the way. She writes for a cool hipster Chicago music magazine and has no idea who Stereolab are. I don't think so. But <laughs> we're not here to poke fun at misportrayals of music journalism. I do that every week on no encore. However, let's close Rob's arc though because it does have a happy ending. There is a big kind of, you know, eureka moment for him where he realizes, no, what I have in front of me is actually amazing. And he tells Laura via a really awkward proposal. And this is how that plays out.
0: I changed my mind. That's the most romantic thing I've ever heard. I do. I will. Just shut up, please. I'm just trying to explain, okay? That other girl or other women, whatever. I mean, I was thinking that they're just fantasies. You know and they always seem really great because there's never any problems and if there are they're cute problems like you know we bought each other the same Christmas present or, or she wants to go see a movie that I've already seen you know and then I come home and you and I have real problems and you don't even want to see the movie I want to see period And there's no lingerie and
1: I have lingerie yes
0: you do you have great lingerie but you also have the cotton underwear that's been washed a thousand times and it's hanging on the thing and uh, and they have it too it's just I don't have to see it because it's not the fantasy do you understand I'm tired of the fantasy because it doesn't really exist and there are never really any surprises and it never really delivers delivers right and I'm tired of it and I'm tired of everything else for that matter but I don't ever seem to get tired of you so,
1: I think I know what you mean. But were you really expecting me to say yes?
0: I don't know. I didn't think about it, really. I thought asking was the important part. Well, you've asked.
2: So, right, now, I understand, right, that this is the moment where he shows his growth, he's learned his lessons, and he realizes that it's time to stop being a dick, and grow up, and appreciate the woman that you love. This amazing woman who is sitting opposite him, who is way too tolerating of this behavior. Um, however, I even, like, you know, you get, like, the kind of the sweet music rising in the soundtrack there, and... I just can't help but think about that bit in The Simpsons where Homer's on his knees and saying to Marge, no, Marge, I figured out the one thing I can offer you that no one else can. And she's like, what? And he goes, complete and utter dependency. And it's just like... And she's like, Homer, that's a bad thing. And he goes, no, Marge, it's a wonderful, magical thing. But like, I just don't understand why she's not like running a fucking mile. And again, I know like, you know, he's maybe not a nine on the Conor McGregor scale, but like, he's fucked up badly before. We all make mistakes. You know, I've... I've I've lost some relationships by by being insensitive. It happens, but like I don't know if this is like the the the, the fist pump moment that the film seems to think it is. You know, Higgs, where are you at?
4: No, and like his his kind of selling point to her is kind of just like. Oh God! Like I'm, I'm tired. Of, I'm just tired of all this. Like, you'll do. You'll, like- <laughs> you'll
1: do. You know, lucky you, Laura. Name.
4: Me, Rob Gordon, the person who cheated on you and borrowed a very large amount of money from you that I still have not paid back, and by by all accounts is now investing in some kind of weird band <laughs> on the Chicago scene and pouring more money down a drain. Yeah, it's 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 really strange. I don't I don't get why she wants to be with him. And the movie can only really contrast him to uh, Ian who's who she she runs off with rob's neighbor upstairs, played by the cartoon uh, play- character, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a cartoon character played by Tim robbins um you know, and I suppose for all the stuff that um that Rob does, which is absolutely you know unforgivable is there anything more unforgivable than wearing, like, sandals with socks, which I'm pretty sure Ian does at one stage. Like, again, like, this person should be going to prison.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's a weird tantric love man, uh, played in very comical garb by Tim Robbins. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, I guess I, I, we all are being quite negative on the film that I, once again, have given three stars to. Because uh, I think it's breezy. I think it has moments of merit. I think it's fairly okay. Like, it's fairly well written, although perhaps not as well written. Like, it's the same writing team, including John Cusack, as as gross point blank but yeah I mean Norma I guess taken off from where where we're at here but also you do like this film so maybe give us some of the positives as well as Rob uh, after you bury Rob six feet deep which I assume you're about to
3: I I, (laughs) yeah um I just feel like I think we mentioned this like about the stakes in the film the stakes don't actually seem that high and he doesn't seem to actually have to work too hard to change things into his favor. At the end of the day, no one's mad. He's gotten everything he wanted out of the situation um with as little effort exacted seemingly as he possibly can. Like he just, you know, keeps asking Laura what percent of a chance does he have back with her having done no nothing to you know, discuss what actually went on in their relationship um, and how anything has changed. Yeah,
2: just a um, really just a really quick interjection for me, if I may, for one second, just because you, you make a really good point there because I watched Empire Records again recently and, like, at least in that film, the store is under threat from, like, a corporate buyout. In this one, a record store which they claim they never have customers in, but then inexplicably at one stage the shop is packed. There's, surely you have to have this, like, you know, Paul Giamatti character coming in in a suit being like we're gonna take it over like it's just like come on like where's that guy and it's just because it
3: it does feel weird it feels like that is where it's gonna go even when she's like you borrowed a large sum of money off her and you never paid it back and i was like surely this is going to be like a pressurized situation but like nothing really feels pressurized and it feels like there's no timeline there's no need to get to the end of the film necessarily but it's it is still really enjoyable and there are quite charming and funny um lines within the script and moments that are had that you're like oh that is really sweet and like that is a situation we've all been in um I actually really enjoy the cinematography so Seamus McGarvey who did the cinematography is incredible like he's probably most well known weirdly enough for like atonement um and like he's in a couple of Oh, Anna Karenina as well. Like, I think he's worked with Joe Wright a bit. So it's a very different vibe, obviously. But, um, but there are moments where it does look really nice. And I feel like it looks of the time and of that scene. And that's what Chicago felt like at that point. Um, Lisa Bonet is cool in it. <laughs> I mean, redeeming character in there as well. She's very charming. Um, the moment when they walk into the bar where she's singing and, Is it Jack Black who's like, is that, or no, sorry, it's Rob who's like, is that Peter Frampton? He's like, it's Peter fucking Frampton. (laughs) Um, Is Yeah, like those moments are really fun and and, like iconic. Like there are moments in it where you're like, I can totally see why this is like still quoted today. Why loads of people consider it like one of their favorite movies of all time. Um, And there's some obviously banging tunes in there as well.
2: Uh, Let's take a listen to uh, some of the in-store atmosphere at Championship Final. This is the lads doing a top five and Jack Black being very unimpressed.
0: Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones. Track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, smells like teen spirit off never of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, <laughs> shut up. White Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, no protection. The song is Radiation oh, Ruling the Nation. kind of a new record. Excuse Very, me, I in a mind. minute. Very nice, Rob. A sly declaration of new classic status slipped into a list of old safe ones. Very pussy. Excuse me, I was in, in the- a minute. Couldn't you be any more obvious than that, Rob? How about uh, I don't know the Beatles? How about fucking fucking Beethoven? Track one side one of the fifth symphony. How can someone who has no interest in music own a record store?
2: So like, I was just going to say like, I was actually, I actually like Jack Black in that scene up until a point, and he ruins it with just unnecessary like, ah, oh, come on, man, really. Um, but the question I have for both of you, Higgs first, would you like to work in championship final?
4: Um, I would have had it. There was a time in my life I certainly would have. I guess when I first saw it, and I never worked in a record store i worked in a cinema so like maybe had a little bit of that um a little bit of that atmosphere a little bit of that kind of snobbishness and uh disdain i mean i'm sure you work in any service industry um you will have disdain for your customers but when you work in an industry like say you, you know you did time in an extra Norma, in Extra normally you in cinema as well.
3: <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, between the three of us, we'll surely be able to write a high-fidelity set in the cinema.
4: Yeah. We oh, <laughs> so, really should, yeah, absolutely. So like, I'd, I'd certainly, like, look down upon people going to see, you know, I'm trying to think now what was out in between 2003 and 2005. I'm sure there was some awful stuff uh, that people went to see. People went to see Shark Tale, Dreamworks Pictures Shark Tale. Oh, okay. uh, I don't know why I've I've, I've decided that, that is the is the worst most egregious uh, piece of filmmaking that came out then. But I'd be like, "Oh, you're going to see that, really?" And then particularly if it was at a particular time of day or yeah, you'd, you'd be making passive aggressive comments in your head the whole time. I'd never actually act out on it like someone like a Jack Black. But yeah, like in terms of like aimless job in your in your mid-twenties uh, early twenties i would have liked to work there i don't think it's somewhere i would like to see myself now for example
2: i should say uh, mick pope of the galaxy fame who has also worked in the cinema was telling me recently that like he's told me this before but like he told me again i found it very funny that like people would come up you know and say like they just go to the counter and be like al pacino and mick's like what and they're like al pacino and he's like the insider it's a little bit cigarettes don't go to that you don't want to go to that but they're like al pacino so he's like fine okay see you in half an hour when you walk out uh championship final yeah i mean like i i was a bit of a snarky dickhead in extroversion not to any kind of you know verbal warning degree but uh norma this atmosphere these lads being lads is it for you the workplace environment.
3: Um, <laughs> no, it seems absolutely fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, Dick uh, does make up for everything. He's great. They like like they at the same time as awful as they are, they do they do all feel quite real. Like it feels like a real record story, even though it seems to be running on nothing. Um, especially saying well, I guess he's not paying them, so. Is that the bit at the start when he's just like, oh, I could only offer them yeah, three days, days a week. A week and, and they, they just, just show up. And, um, so he's paying them something. But yeah, they do all feel like quite real characters and I think the idea is that they all represent elements of maybe one kind of whole person type thing. Um, and yeah, they have like the two guys have their little like mini arcs. Um, obviously like Dix is just Quite a nice one, where he just kind of comes out of his shell a bit more, finds a girl who, you know, finds the same records interesting. He seems to have quite a nice taste in music. I see nothing wrong with Belle and Sebastian.
4: Yeah, um, I feel like I've m- I've mostly been crapping on this movie so far, and it's again, I'm, I'm probably in the Dave camp of three out of five. I find all the scenes in the record store. Um, I I kind of just want to watch that. I don't want to deal with Rob's love life baggage. So, um, I think the three of them together are fantastic. I think they bounce off each other really, really well. And I do kind of like. I do think Jack Black is annoying in this, but I think he's deliberately annoying. So you know, it's kind of, it's it's not a it's not something I could knock about the performance. I think he's fantastic in this and is just like such a bolt of energy. Um, and I love how he basically just kind of claws away at Rob, mostly because I dislike Rob, but also because, you know, we we played that clip there of of Rob's, like, you know, top five, and it it is good. Like, I mean there's some basic basic choices um what did you think of the top five actually dave considering this is what you do every week
2: yeah um have you
4: done this actually have you done openers you have haven't
2: you yeah we did album openers yeah yeah for sure what, what
4: were your uh top five side ones track ones then
2: fuck i don't remember did you
3: pick beethoven
2: i did not no <laughs> nor the beatles um so that's like teen spirit <laughs>
4: i i think i'd like rage against the machine
2: in there probably like testify or something it's been a while since we've done it you put me on the spot now it's on your No Encore feed though listener if for whatever reason you've never heard it go back and and look for it just type in No Encore best album openers and you can have that episode immediately um i like the top five thing i mean again it's like you know you want to you know like growing up like you want to work in a cool place like you guys both worked in the cinema i never did i would love to have worked in cinema i worked in a video store which was the fucking dream and i loved it until of course as i'm sure it was for you guys as well until it became a job you know until it like got to that point where it just became like oh no this isn't working anymore and that's a shame but they're kind of right of passage jobs and the kind of jobs don't exist anymore in some respects in some places in the world and i'd still love to work in a record store i mean like I don't know how socially acceptable it would be, but like if I moved, you know, to Canada tomorrow or whatever, I'm going to try and work in a cool bar or a record store, you know, like that's what I want to do. Fuck, you know, offices that fire you after three months for no reason. Uh, Anyway, so basically uh, I should say as well, where was I going with this? Yeah, I was going to say that like the, yeah, so Dick is the kind of oddball character in the store. The lady that he finds love with is Sarah Gilbert of Roseanne fame. But there's another actor in this film that you may or may not have spotted, because it clearly must have been like deleted scenes where there's a thing where it shows. I think it's meant to be like friends of Rob and Laura's, and there's like a dinner party, and there's just a very quick cutaway scene where like another couple are in their apartment and they're like smiling and laughing, and there's, there's a man there who like gets up and like goes to clean the plates or something, and has no dialogue, and is never seen again, and it's fucking um, what's his name Chris Bauer I think Frank Sabaka from The Wire. He's just in it for like two seconds and it's
4: is like he? yes I he is totally missed
2: that I'm telling you I saw I him and even, I was like
3: I can't even picture the scene you're talking about it's
2: like at the end when he's got some weird kind of montage thing maybe he's like imagining a more idyllic life or maybe he's just like yeah oh, you know like this is kind of boring or something but like there's just a scene of like them having dinner with a couple and there's a man smiling and it's fucking him and I was like that's hilarious yes. he clearly was cut out of the film but they kept that one scene like George Clooney in the thin red line or something um, should note though Dick is great he's awesome here's a clip of him in Rob's apartment which Todd Luiso gets my favorite joke and line reading in the entire film.
4: So um, I just want to know if you wanted to come along. Barry thought so too, really. But I guess it looks as if you're reorganizing, reorganizing your records.
0: records. Yeah. Um, what is this? Though?
4: Chronological?
0: No. Not alphabetical. Nope. What? Autobiographical.
4: No fucking way.
0: Yep. I can tell you how I got it from Deep Purple to Howlin' Wolf in just 25 moves. And I want to find the song Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. I have to remember that I bought it for someone in the fall of 1983 pile, but didn't give it to them for personal reasons. That sounds comforting. Yes. It is. Hello? Well. Sure, I can stick
4: around, you know, man, if you want me to help out. But you really shouldn't
0: uh, keep them piled like this because it gets really pressured. Hold on. You know, See you tomorrow.
2: Oh. I love that scene. I love his performance. I think the no fucking way thing is incredible. His awe, his reverence, you know, his like, oh my God, this is next level, like weird geekdom. And it just works absolutely perfectly. Uh, as we start to wrap it up, are the tunes in this film good? Do they stand out to you? Is it especially memorable? I mean, I guess it works for the time. I'm not sure it's amazing. Maybe I'm wrong.
3: Um, I think it works really well for the time and for the characters that are being shown on screen, which is like, it serves them really well. Um, Yeah, I don't know if it's kind of like, would stand a test of time thing. But I think I do like it when films just use the music that is of the time and that would have been worked at at the time and like talked about and stuff like that so do you think it really works well on that level i'm kind of intrigued by there's a tv show called high fidelity um with Zoe Kravitz
2: which has since been cancelled yes
3: um has it i actually i i hadn't watched it i know nothing about it um but i was kind of intrigued to see like wh- where does it pick up does it pick up is the music now music of right now like that it's, kind of thing but
4: yeah it's basically the exact same um i watched i watched like the opening scene of it or like the breakup scene you know the sorry the opening uh, what came first the music or the misery um, Kingsley Benadir who was great, like as Malcolm X, and one night Miami, he's in it. Um, so yeah, it's basically just a complete retread from what, what I can see. But obviously, okay. I updating, thought it was maybe at updating like, the music choices. Um, yeah, Zoe Kravitz plays Rob Robin in it. But yeah, it has now been cancelled. We will probably never watch it. And I, I do remember,
2: but I do remember like when that when they first announced that show, and I was working for Joe, and I wrote a couple of articles about it. And of course, there was lots of like lads being like, "You can't be a woman And I was like, "All right, not go. my Rob Gordon." Yeah, for fuck's sake! Like this classic character. Like, come on um I, I don't know if barry's a katrina and the waves fan higgs i don't know if i buy that one it feels more like movie than script there or more script than character for me but I, I guess they're fine i mean the beta band song which i came to i guess love a lot a lot later in life via craig fitzpatrick's love of it is a great needle drop in this movie
4: yeah no there there, there is some good ones um you brought up high fidelity uh sorry not high fidelity Grossman blank earlier and it's kind of a fair comparison. Um, you know, John Cusack produced, he's uh, co-wrote it with his writing partners. And it also kind of has very much um, kind of, obviously not a musical, but like, you know, it's a jukebox just going on, uh, you know, a high school reunion. And I kind of prefer the songs in that. They kind of have a bit more of a structure because they're kind of um, formed around songs that they would have been listening to um, at the high school reunion when they were in high school. But yeah, you mentioned like the beta band, um I actually as a result I didn't I didn't go out and buy the three EPs after listening to it, but I was like I put it on the other day um because I think Dry the Rain is absolutely incredible and it's it is a fantastic moment and you know it's not it's not one that, that hit me hit with me when I was younger, but now I'm just like I could totally see myself being the you know Ian Williams from battles in the in the record store just like noodling along away. That's who that is. It.
2: Oh my god. Yeah. I, I, again, I was like, I vaguely recognize this person. Who is it? Uh, yeah, let's play that clip.
0: I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the Beta Band. Do it. the
4: beta band it's good i know yeah just a a wonderful wonderful scene i feel like it it is kind of like a it's iconic now and it's definitely one that kind of sticks out every time i think of the movie but yeah other songs that are in it that i like um i I don't know where it is it's on the soundtrack but there's a smog track in it that's really good and i I can't place it now having rewatched it uh Bill Callahan's former moniker. Um, yeah, and then there's just, like, some, like, kind of very obvious stuff, like, you know, The River where Bruce Springsteen's in it. And, you know, there's a Dylan track and even the Marvin Gaye track that um, Jack Black sings at the end and Stevie Wonder. It's, like, very, very obvious. Like, they're really, really good songs, but I don't find them, like, incredibly unique. And maybe that's playing into the fact that Rob is, in fact, quite beige. Am
2: I misremembering? I've watched a bunch of movies recently, including a bunch of music movies. Bruce Springsteen's in this, right? Yes, yes, yeah.
3: There's a cutaway to him talking to Rob,
2: (laughs) giving him life advice. Is that like yeah? He's
3: giving him advice about how to get Laura back.
2: Yeah, which is like a very good flex on the part of the movie. But like, I guess, yeah, I kind of forgot it happened immediately at the time. I was like, oh, that's significant. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's a cool thing to have in your film. But like, until you mentioned his song in the film, I was like, oh, yeah. Also, he's in the movie. Like, I was just like. You, yeah, you're you you almost think, conditions oh, to have, well, I guess I was going to say you almost condition yourself to be expecting more of that kind of stuff, but go on.
3: I was just going to say, do you think the two lads, what is the name of the band at the end?
2: Uh, the band that he's like signed? That he
3: signs, yeah, uh, to top five records let's um, get on the spot
2: thinking top five records i don't remember because there's lots of band names changing including i know Jack i know like their records
4: like i sold my mom's wheelchair but i can't i'm struggling now with the name of the, the band. yeah what the name of the
3: band is because there's a bit where he's like um and there's that's one, a little there's one i screaming at us right now but so yeah <laughs>
2: the kinky <There's> wizards <laughs> there, there you <laughs> go. thank god
3: <laughs> um the kinky wizards do we think their ep sounded good no No, No. like, and that's the real (laughs) kicker is that this whole thing of like, he's turning his life around, he's going to get Laura back and he's, you know, going to set up a record label called Top 5 Records and these are going to be his first signing. And I was like, no. But it's he'll like, drop them. If, you, if you're going to rest it on that thing, it's got to be magic. He'll drop um, them,
2: though, and he'll sign Barry's band. And then there'll be a whole kind of weird push-pull about the ownership of the record store. And then that's when the Paul Giamatti character comes down the line because he's the cousin okay. of the Jack Black character. It writes itself. There was no sequel, of course. What was the legacy of this film, Higgs? The critical reception was fairly strong, I believe.
4: It. It's Yeah, I mean, it's 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 well Um We mentioned that there's a TV show of it. Um, there's a musical of it um i don't think it hit broadway certainly off broadway but yeah yeah roger ebert loved it um you know him a chicago man yeah it's just it's 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 a weird one as you say like when i was looking at it on letterbox i think like everyone i know is very much in the love this movie camp like four Um, four and a
2: half stars i was like really
4: and i yeah i find i find it strange like i as i said like i know they are probably been you know coming across like i i really just like i used to love it and now i'm just like it's fine it's it's not it's not as easy a hang as i once once thought it was when i had it on like vhs
2: okay yeah i guess for me it's a case of if someone gave me a vinyl you know i'd i'd be happy to get it but i'm probably not going to rush out and buy it myself norma any closing thoughts
3: um i'm sure there are a very high number of men out there who have categorized their vinyl collections autobiographically.
2: I wonder if anyone has a tattoo of (laughs) Rob Gordon
3: of oh, his face.
2: Yeah, like, could be. I'd
3: get a I get a tattoo of Laura cuz her fringe is real good.
2: Yeah, she's cool. She's stylish. Yeah. I saw <laughs> I saw a guy the other day in the park wearing a nine I feel inch like
3: I n- said that sounded a very sardonic. It's an enjoyable <laughs> film, but
4: uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean like Laura had a good fringe.
2: <laughs> Put it on the poster. I was going to say the other day I saw a guy in the park wearing a Nine inch Nails t-shirt and I was like, "There we go. This this could be a new friend." And then as I walked <laughs> by him, I saw that he had a tattoo of Jim Morrison's face on his hand. His never, hand. Seen, and never seen anything like it. Jesus. Never seen
3: anything there's like it. There's a very funny bit in No Man's Land where there's a lady working in Amazon who's just covered in um, Smith's quotes tattoos.
2: You're gonna have to get all those lasers off. Oh, all like, of them. It's <laughs> tough. Them. I, like <laughs> I have, like I, like my left arm. I think one of the
3: tattoos just says Morrissey as well. Oh, no,
2: <laughs> cross your throat. My left arm is like a composite of like my favorite book and my favorite album. And I'm like, if either of those people get cancelled, I'm fucked. So yeah, that how do you feel about off?
3: lasers? I <laughs> <laughs> gotta go
2: like Sons of Anarchy and get it all Black out or something. All right, uh, that was High Fidelity. It's a fun romp with problematic people in it. Uh, next on No Popcorn. We're doing something completely different. Hit the trailer.
0: You sound great. Yeah, right. What? You told me you were feeling it. You were in it. Hey, we, don't need to, we don't need to
2: put them all out. I know, but well, we just need to film.
0: Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play them all. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me.
1: You have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. <laughs> I'm deaf.
2: So yes, I said we were going to do Sound of Metal as a future episode and it will in fact be the next episode in which Riz Ahmed plays a drummer in a fairly kind of hardcore band who starts rapidly losing his hearing and even the trailer alone has kind of horror movie elements to it. That might be something we can discuss. Norma, I know this is one that you were pushing for in particular. Have you watched it yet? No spoilers?
3: I have not watched it yet, so um, I think we're saying it's up on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon maybe? Prime in Ireland, yeah, um, this was another one of those films that yeah, has just been kind of I'm just, scattered um, about the place. I'm just really excited to see it. It just seemed like a really interesting concept. I like Riz Ahmed. Um, yeah, so I'm very excited to check it out.
2: Yep. So as noted, you can get it, listener, on Amazon Prime in Ireland if you have a subscription. No need to do anything nefarious or spend a ridiculous amount of money to get it. I'm not I endorsing. To give
4: like a promo code there. For <laughs> no, you know, use promo code popcorn to get one free month of uh, Prime Video.
2: <laughs> I wish, but uh sadly not. No, I haven't sold out to uh, to Bezos. Do not worry. Anyway, uh, that was High Fidelity. That was Norma Howard. That was Dave Higgins. I am Dave Hanrady. This is No Popcorn, part of the No Encore show. Patreon.com slash No Encore if you want to support what we do and help keep my Amazon subscription in business. Until next time, goodbye. Here's the beta band.